0: All right, welcome back to Coaches Exploring Clarity. Uh, Lana Lane and Greg back to dive in deep again on Jamie Smart's second edition of Clarity. And today we're gonna be starting with chapter eight, the ultimate leverage point, which starts off with a quote from Thomas Kuhn. The historian of science may be tempted to exclaim that when paradigms change, the world itself changes with them. I mean, I know I say this every time, but I really like this chapter. (laughs) I, uh, I kind of fell in love with paradigms when I was studying seven habits of highly effective people and realized how, how powerful it is when you shift from one paradigm to a new paradigm to the point where I started looking for paradigms. Like, where am I caught up in a paradigm that isn't serving me or, or, you know, when I used to do, when I worked in retail and dealt with stores or vendors, like trying to understand what paradigm they were acting out of. Because if I could understand their paradigm, it was much easier to manipulate them. <laughs> I mean, collaborate <laughs> with them.
1: <laughs> have you had a recent discovery, Greg?
0: on a paradigm that you were all of that wasn't working for you? Yeah, well, uh, I, have, I have them all the time this weekend, uh, Elaine and I were on a course together and then I don't know if it was the main theme, but th- at the beginning, there was this pr- a theme of uh, you're either enrolling somebody else in your version of the world or they're enrolling you in theirs. So their version of the world is analogous to paradigm. Anyway, so I started thinking, I, m- I made a word cloud post on my Facebook of the words that um, describe my version of the world that I'm currently living in. And they were words like love, joy, fun, abundance, clarity, possibility, potential, and, you know, things like that. I think I had a dozen words or so. But when I think back to during my career, if I had words to describe my world, it would have been stress, frustration, um, accomplishment. Uh, I don't know, just a, a much different list of words to describe what my world used to be. Um, And and the reason it hit me this weekend was on Thursday, I'd taken my dad to the hospital for an appointment. just as a a follow-up thing, but we were delayed for like two hours. So we just had a chance to sit there and talk. And just the way he was describing his existence at the retirement home things, he said something to me that something like, uh, I'm just here till I die or I'm here to die. And I thought, well, that's a pretty, um, dark version of your world <laughs> to live out the rest of your days with the, you know, I'm just waiting to die basically. And uh, so we, as we talked about, it, I said, well, how about if you looked at it this way, like you're there to live until you die. Is that a, you know, that's a much different way of looking at the same situation. Anyway, we had a great conversation. I don't know that I changed his uh perspective all that much, but I think I was pointing into a new, Paradigm: a new way of looking at at his situation, which hopefully will prove to be helpful for him.
1: Hmm.
0: Oh, you're on mute, Elaine. Somehow.
2: Sorry, guys, I'm on mute because they're knocking the wall down through in the next flap so I just oh. <laughs> them, you know while I'm <laughs> not speaking. Sorry. No, um, no problem. Yeah, I kind of got into a bit stuck thinking about paradigms, because get indeed that this is what Jamie is pointing to. and um, because in a, um in a sense of time, like it seems that the previous, let's say, paradigms paradigms, and Jamie makes the example, I think not in this chapter, but later on, of the but however of the um germ theory if you Mm. like you know once people started understanding that germs actually did exist um then they started you know sterilizing stuff and operations became more successful and so on and and people understood how to then develop a cure for in that case cholera at the time or or Mm. whatever it was and so on um as i guess we're kind of on the front edge or the back edge, I'm not quite sure, of this paradigm, mm. you know, that uh, uh, you know that everything is thought-generated perceptual reality, because noticing how it took sort of a long time, was it, was it Semmelweis or whoever it was that realised or saw this thing about germs or that it must be something, and connected that up and then was able to, let's say, put it out in the world, and then that people were actually able to believe it, and then act upon it. Apparently in that story, there was something, I don't know, it was more than 50 years went by.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, before there was any kind of inkling just to take it on board. So whereas, you know, now happily today, there are many people, thanks to Sydney Banks and so forth, and Jamie Smart himself, and now us, Yeah. you know, I'm wondering how how long it'll take and if because of technology or because of anything, will the time be less, will it be more, or is that indeed also, let's say, the, the time limitation, if I'm going to call it, yes. something to do with our own thought-generated perceptual reality, and is that going to change as well? Yes. If that made any sense? Yeah, that's... That,
1: what I thought about that,
2: yeah. I'll
0: let Linda
1: well, obviously much. the obviously the answer is we don't know, like, like yeah, we don't know
2: yeah, yeah, anything. To mind, you know, <laughs> yeah, mind, Yeah, we don't thought. know. We don't we don't know, but good it is it for thought because uh, it, it's one thing, you know, looking back at saying, oh, you know, science has done this and that, this that, and the other, and and yet we are actually sitting in the midst of this extraordinary new paradigm mm-hmm. it's not sort of really been revealed and it's not just accepted as true across you know across the
0: board yeah most people don't even know about it yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. until they watch this program of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: and again so
1: and, and, and i'm i would i would i would hmm. I don't know if I beg to differ, or I'm not quite sure. But if you not necessarily in this way, but if you if you look back over centuries at um, uh, Buddhism or many other forms, where within there's a belief that we are generating whatever we we feel. Uh, so it might not be said in this in this way and and laid out in this manner or transmitted or communicated or but i'm, I'm not quite sure that um, it hasn't been there and that people haven't seen it is it that it hasn't come out in such a way that is universally accepted that is day-to-day that is you know in our mainstream um it if you t- take another example right now, f- taking mindfulness into schools, for example, that's that's a new thing. That wouldn't have happened when we were at school. People coming to us and, and, and having any notion that that how we we were and how we dealt with our minds was a, as a child was going to help us and be helpful for us going forward. So I'm not, I'm not sure that the notion of this hasn't been there. I just wonder if it it hasn't been a norm you know a paradigm that's been recognized and and in our normal way of of being Mm. i'm not sure i'm not sure i genuinely i'm not sure
0: (laughs) yeah what's the thing that occurs to me when you're describing like things like mindfulness and mental health education getting into the educational system it's like it's a very it's a reactive, uh at least my my impression of it is it's society reacting to a decline in mental health amongst young people. So we must get these programs into schools to show them there's a different way uh to live because of you know all the the negative impacts they're having rather than like it's it's a response to something rather than a proactive kind of um doing this because. I've had an insight and and been enlightened, and have to share this. It's it's so maybe we will get there. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a problem, but it's um you know, it just seems a little backwards to me in terms of how how we we're going about it as a, as a society. That maybe that's for another another day.
1: That'll be chapter twenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I noted again in this chapter, similar to what we've talked about up to this point, is the repetitive nature of just pounding away on how our experiences is mm. created, like on page 95 when he's describing level four, the, the nature of thought. Our experience of the world is created from the inside out via the principles of mind, thought, and consciousness, insightfully understanding what's behind the scenes of our experience. lead to a profound transformation increasing clarity security and peace of mind so again that and i really liked this little image that he has of level one which is downstream material reality level two content of thought level three structure of thought and now level four nature of thought as being upstream and each of those is a a paradigm shift from the previous one and kind of you know as I was going through this chapter and reading it, I kind of, not that I've struggled with the idea of going upstream with my clients and stuff, but it, it just hit me in a different way this time through the chapter of like, oh, that's that's what this means. <laughs> um, and then I had a whole bunch of ideas for how I can do that and bring my clients, you know, up the ladder, so sort to of speak, um, into understanding the nature of thought
1: That's interesting because when I I read this these two chapters again uh, on Sunday and um, speaking of the nature of thought and how it impacts us, it's Sunday and it's sunny and I was on my terrace with clarity thinking I'm doing my homework and I really, <laughs> I was in the space of I don't want to be reading this today mm-hmm. as a result of I don't want to be reading this today. I felt a bit irked, and, and it wasn't going in. So I didn't have my highlighter, highlighter. pen. Yeah. I didn't have my pencil. Uh, I read the paragraphs, and a couple of things hit me. and I was like, yeah. And then this morning, when I read this one specifically again, where the, a, a few examples of my past few days, so circumstances, conversations with family, with a couple of clients to the point of a message from a client 20 minutes or 25 minutes before we got on this call that little downstream downstream upstream um what do you call that diagram diagram, thank you very much uh that uh, just from that i'm thinking oh yeah uh that's you know that's this that's this that's just thinking back to conversations and where this looks to be so helpful Mm. so so very helpful where uh, you know someone turns up and they say oh i you know i'm not getting through this and it looks like this you know i've got this problem going on today if i react where they are in the material reality or the content of their thought we're just going to get stuck there Mm-hmm. that's just going to be, oh, this is a problem and how are you going to solve the problem and, you know, what's going to make you do it, what's going to motivate you to do it, and, and and so the spiral goes. Whereas as you move on through the structure to the actual nature of it, that that's where the problem falls away and I have examples of this for myself in the past couple of weeks as well. So just the beauty of that little diagram and and from, from a noticing perspective, you know, for us, just to go boom, 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 boom. Oh yeah, it, it it's so so helpful as yeah. a as an image as a visual for me.
0: Yeah, me too.
2: Yeah, one thing that struck me, generally speaking, in uh, generally speaking, throughout the book is the. Through the book, how as well how things have changed over time. It's like a new paradigm. How how books are now much more move um, yeah dynamic because of images mm. and, and how how somehow it, it does seem to be more. It's, things seem to be more impressed on your mind when you have an image to grip onto, which sort of appeals to you know people have different ways of learning. And and how even that is a change in paradigm, if you like, in learning itself. Um so yeah, and I like I like that dead simple. Downstream, upstream, that's that end of story, you know. And the only place you can go is upstream to get anything. What the other thing that struck me after that, because he's Jamie in this part is still talking about movies. Mm. And and you know, the idea of, of, of how the Lumiere brothers or what it was, you know, they, they put out that first ever move moving, moving photographs, if you like. And, you know, people were terrified with the idea that the train might come out of the, out of the screen and and get them or whatever, just as he as a little boy describes himself, you know, how, how terrifying certain scenes from the Wizard of Oz were flying monkeys or whatever they were. And it struck me and it was rather a worrying thought because like all this points to like, or, you know, what, what, what people are, are like secretly looking for is sort of peace and tranquility and serenity and just kind of some sort of clarity and calm, quiet understanding of how we actually work so that we can move forward in the best way possible in our lives and how there's an enormous number of people, as well as the people who have created today's movie, today's movies, which are requiring 3D goggles, Mm. so that people can have that experience of pure terror as they are watching a movie. And that really struck me, I thought, well, it's almost as if we were actually not, although Course, clarity will point us to the fact that we're already created to be serene, peaceful, you know, loving, wonderful, understanding human being, the clear mind and, you know, clear purpose sort of thing in life. But it looks like today's generations are seeking that thing that, you know, subtractive psychology is trying to get us away from and how to feel terrified on a day-to-day basis
0: Mm.
2: that was quite interesting
0: yeah well i think the the
2: they're seeking seeking an experience that somehow is not there through the 3d movie whether it's terrifying or even just an experience of you know flying or something like that because of the nature of the movie sort of thing Mm. and your 3d goggles or whatever Seeking that experience, which is, of course, you you can have anyway. <laughs> if you want, why go? Why go looking for it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the thing that jumped out at me at the end of that section of the, the paragraph on page ninety six was, uh, he says they can still be deeply affected by a movie, but they know their well being isn't at risk. Yeah. And it's it's like you know I can go and watch a horror movie or a Whatever and really allow myself to be fooled into thinking this is real, knowing that it isn't, and that as soon as the lights come back on, you know I'm okay. Like I'm not, yeah, Yeah.
2: not bothered. But what I'm saying is, you know, why the 3D, why the 3D viewing goggles? Yeah, To, to sort of need to be in there when you also know that you can't be. You're just in a pair of goggles.
0: Yeah well when when you uh i would say i cuz this is a, a conversation my wife and i have often because i love 3d movies she hates them they make her nauseous yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so we
0: always when the new movies come out it's like are we going to go see it in IMAX 3d or in you know regular and of course she always wins so um <laughs> but i i love i just it helps me more fully immerse myself in the illusion of the experience of the movie um so it's like a, i i love being fooled to that third dimension
2: <laughs> yeah yeah when you secretly know it's not true yeah
0: yeah, yeah. it reminds yeah. me of uh you know um people would be like i like all the marvel movies and people will poke holes in different plots or different scenes and say, well, that's impo- That would never have happened. And it's like, oh, like, we're pretending people have like superpowers and things. And the thing that you have a problem with is that like, you know, this scenario wouldn't, doesn't uh-huh. seem realistic when none of it's realistic. Like, it's all made up entirely. Yeah. It's all made up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then moving on from that same thought, if that is so, and, and, and Jamie even says, you know, once Once a paradigm, on page 99, once a paradigm is established, it renders many pre-paradigm theories obsolete. Mm. So I'm wondering then, I guess, what's going to happen after this? Are we in the fifth dimension, the sixth dimension? What happens after all of this? Is there anything beyond the principle of thought taking form in the moment?
0: yeah yeah well that's it's an interesting um question because when we're in our current paradigm and we can see how it made all the previous paradigms obsolete it's easy to fall into the arrogance of thinking we fa- okay we finally have found the paradigm yeah but the person that was in the paradigm right before this one they thought, they that, thought was that was the paradigm the, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and all the way back in time so it's unlikely that any paradigm that we have currently is the paradigm it's it's more likely that things will continue to evolve and change um I think I can't remember the exact term it's something like anything that's in our perceptual field and uh through devices and things so as our technology changes and we we can start seeing things that so kind of like your your um reference to the germ theory thing like until even even when germs were you know theoretically thought of until they had a microscope where they could actually see them it was still hard for people to believe that it was a thing so as technology increases in our ability to see things becomes clearer um you know yeah I, i'd be in the camp of, of if i had to bet my money i'd bet that there'll be other paradigms beyond this or other paradigms that we have yeah. in our lives and, I, and i'm reminded of you know the a paradigm is just a map of the territory it's not the territory itself so um you know we i don't think we've seen everything that there is to be seen for sure yeah
2: fascinating
0: And to your point oh. Linda, thinking about those those uh Um, that diagram with the different levels in it on 98 it says there's a huge difference between intervening in an existing perceptual reality versus looking upstream at what's creating that perceptual reality a person doesn't understand that they're feeling the principle of thought taking form in the moment they'll accept what the perception has to tell them about those feelings thought creates the world and then says I didn't do it That's that's what I, I had a, a session yesterday with somebody and uh, it was so helpful taking them upstream because they were so caught up in the content of their mm-hmm. thinking and, and were so busy around that and so convinced that it was real. And then when we started unraveling and exploring, like, well, you know, what do you make of that? Or um, what's your theory about why that's happening? Um, is that actually real or true? For that person and for yourself anyway it was it's like magic I, i'm sure you guys have had the experience of like taking people upstream <laughs> in the magic that happens when they when they see the nature of thought i
1: i think it's especially helpful when um i don't know what your your conversation was based on greg but when people come and and it's always the other person is doing X mm. <laughs> to make me feel Y. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's where it's within relationships or and it doesn't matter if it's a family relationship or what relationship or or someone annoying you in the street it doesn't really matter, but I think it's particularly helpful there to get people out of the story and mm. to get to point them to what is true. Mm. Because we don't naturally we do not naturally think like that it's yeah. not how we naturally think so yeah. and and again that's last week i think we were on habits and when you talk about mental habits once you start to be able to even be able to think like that for yourself the easier irks and problems seem to they don't necessarily just fall away but we can see them and and you, you said at the top end of the call oh not much doesn't doesn't not much annoys me and I'm like yeah these days yeah and, you know I I bet you could make a list from a few years ago of all the of all the little things that annoy you but now that you see that I mean just yeah. they're not they're not annoying yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah tra- traffic is the is the biggest one and it still annoys me but not nearly as deeply or for as long like I can catch myself very quickly being annoyed with with traffic uh, to the point where it, it makes me laugh now. Like I, I almost, it's almost like a little joke on myself. <laughs> yeah.
1: Those other drivers are happy about that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did want to point out on page 99, the the specific reference to um, Sydney bank's discovery. So it says what Sydney yeah. bank's discovery of the principles underlying experience makes possible in the realization of a single paradigm, worldview, underpinning the theories and methodologies of all aspects of psychology. And to your point, Elaine, like, you know, Sid Banks died, what, in 2009 or something? And he had his his enlightenment experience 50 years ago in in 1973. And here we are, I mean, we're on this call and we know there's a big three principles community, but as a percentage of the world's population, it's virtually non-existent. so it's like, um, these may be the principles of psychology, but I would suggest that most of psychology doesn't know about them <laughs> um, in terms of the um, uh, the establishment, I guess, of psychology. And that, that it's a matter of time um, before they do similar to, and, and I don't know if you, if you could draw a parallel to how long it took like germ theory or, uh, um, any of these other major paradigm shifts in society to take hold, but maybe it is a 100-year process. I don't know. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah I, I i would say that's true in, in a Western world. But, you know, in, in my experience of the um, Shiatsu practitioner, which follows sort of everything that is... Uh, Buddhist philosophy or traditional Chinese medicine. I mean, these guys already have all of this. Mm. And, I mean, providing you are a Tibetan monk, you know, yeah. uh, sort of thing. Um, so and I kind of ask, I guess that was a little bit in, in the question that, you know, that I that I posed to, to myself, to anybody, you know, that they already had this stuff. And and when they were teaching this stuff, they didn't even have a book to teach from, mm. nor had anybody actually written the book of how to teach this stuff. And but what they, their, their let's say, their method of, I'm just trying to think of the right word, because if it's not teaching, what is it? Well, let's say education mm. then, as Jamie describes from the Latin origin of the word. To lead out from within was indeed that. So, like, if you look at you know something like Tai Chi, the the big masters of cha- Tai Chi, you so I'll just sign up for a Tai Chi lesson today and off you go. They do not say a word. You just walk in, and you just copy the master, mm-hmm. and that is the teaching. So it it and which points exactly to the fact that it's because it's already there but these kind of movements and such like will point you in the direction of that,
0: mm.
2: you know, which is that, which is within, which is the only thing kind of you need to move forward in life. Mm. Um, so, and that's, you know, that's been around for thousands of years, four, five, six, seven thousand 7,000 years, you know, BC something. Um, and like we still haven't got it. But, yeah, I guess that was what was going on in my mind. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Those people are looking at us and going, "Those people in the Western world—they're a bit slow." <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And and in, mm. they, you know, but not not only the Western world's taken, you know, takes the larger bite because many Chinese and Japanese and Asian people, Indian people. They they want the, you know, the the big apple. They want the American way, the Western world, they mm. want that. Which again is a, you know, is a huge sort of opposition. It's the opposition party that we we're dealing with, if you like. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a big thing. But as far as I'm concerned, it's a wonderful journey. Mm. Big or not. Yeah.
0: How about we uh, we wrap this one up with the thought experiment at the end and then we'll move on? Yeah. So I'll I'll read it on page 102 the thought experiment. One of the more profound implications of the principles behind clarity is this. You don't need to control, monitor, or manage your thinking. What happens when you stop for a moment and deeply consider that?
2: Yeah. You know, with this with this chapter, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um How difficult though is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you like to really do that. What happens when you stop for a moment? Oh my God, I've lost control.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> I. We we know we hang on to that control, that a control manage, and and that's what we are doing every day, every. Every day, every breath we take, we're sort of desperately attempting to control or manage either ourselves or somebody else or something else.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, even how to handle a toaster in the morning kind of thing can sometimes be a big deal. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I I think that speaks directly to what we have been conditioned to do. Yeah. And that's that's what we have been conditioned to do since, since we have been children. We've been conditioned to. Monitor ourselves, manage ourselves, control feelings, impulses, actions. That that those things are what we have been conditioned to do. So it it goes against what we've been told our nature is not not what our nature is. Interestingly, yeah, what we've been told our nature is, but not what our nature is. Yeah.
2: So the the implications of the principles behind clarity is just fabulous. Mm. think about it um, you know, it's a no it's almost it almost becomes like a no-brainer but the step into that is kind of as I you know I see it, yeah. it is another thing but I guess even seeing that that it is another thing and it, it it kind of helps working with people mm. to be able to see that you know it it also provides the get our own journeys in this, in the book, in in our day to day, now that we have, you know, a certain level of understanding. um, It actually increases our own, well, love and understanding towards other people that it it might take a bit of time, but that's okay. Mm. So even even that is quite an implication in itself. It's sort of kind of motivating. It is. Hopeful.
0: I think of the it in the context of a lot of the increasing my love and understanding for myself of not beating myself up for why am i thinking this yeah. way or why am i doing this or there i go again getting mad at somebody who doesn't have their signal on when they're turning <laughs> you know whatever it is um yeah so it's yeah, to me it, it's uh freedom is the big word that pops out at me when you understand that you don't have to control monitor or manage your thinking it's like that's freedom from not having to do that
1: beautiful greg i've that's not the first time i've read that thought experiment but when you were reading it greg and i got to the when you got to last what happens when you stop for a moment and deeply consider that so i wasn't even even deeply considering it i just kind of felt like that's a load off <laughs> It's Like, oh yay. Yeah. imagine. Yeah. And then, of course, I can't help going to back to kids again. Imagine, imagine if kids knew that was an okay way to be.
0: Yeah. You yeah.
1: Know, if we could take it right back to there, and they weren't having this conversation when they're when they're in their forties, fifties, sixties, if they hadn't been conditioned to control, monitor, manage their thinking, their feelings, there would be everything. Yeah. It would be. It seems like the what happens would be an easier, an easier.
0: For sure. All right, we'll leave it there for now. Thank Thank you both.
2: Thank you so much.